All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26, Matthew 26, and we've been on the road to the cross. These last three chapters in Matthew, we've called it the road to the cross, as we will follow Jesus' footsteps as he walks to the, the cross. Uh, I've got a visitor up here. She came to the altar before I gave the invitation. (laughs) You know it's going to be a good one today, right? (laughs) Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 26. (laughs) And we're on the road to the cross. I I said that. And we're following the footsteps of Jesus as he uh, takes those, those final steps to the cross to die for our sins. And we come to tonight, to this one. This is the night before. The crucifixion, he's in the upper room with the disciples, and now we come to the Last Supper. That's what it's been called. You guys know this scene. You've heard it before. Um, I think it's one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. Uh, I, I look forward to preaching this. I think it's good for us to hear. And not only do I think it's the most important pa- one of the most important passages in the Bible, I think it's the most important meal that's ever been had. So that's what I titled it. I said, how do you give this a title? You could call it The Last Supper. And everybody's like, oh, I've heard that before. But I, I, want, I want to say this. I believe, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, if you think there's another meal that's more important than this one, you can tell me. You decide. But I think this is the most important meal ever. So I'm going to read this to you today. Let's stand together, and we're going to look at the most important meal ever. And I just want to read 26 through 30. And, and I, I think this is just an outstanding passage. Starting in verse 26, and it says, And as they were eating... Jesus took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and he gave thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many, for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Just one more step on the way to the cross. As he leaves the upper room, the arrests will follow, the garden, the betrayal. All these things are going to happen. So this is the last time that he meets with his disciples in the upper room. This is the most important meal ever. So let's pray together and we'll study these verses. Father, we thank you for this picture that we get of the final moments in the life of Jesus Christ here on earth. As he walks his way to the cross to die for us. And God, I think this is vitally important that we hear this, that we take it to heart, that we understand what's going on here. And God, I think there's great application for us here. I think this should make us love Jesus Christ even more as we study this today. I think it should make us bow our knee and worship him even even more today. I think this is something we all need. So God, please teach us these words today by your Spirit. The only thing I can do is take these, my words, and, and to the ears of the people in this room. I pray that by your spirit, you would take it to their heart. So God, please help us here today as we study this great, great passage. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So I call it the most important meal ever. And the question that you're probably asking is how can we say this is the most important meal that's ever been had? How can we say, what makes it so important? What makes it so special? And I've got several answers I want to give you. And I'm going to make an argument here that this is the most important meal ever. And here's my argument. First of all, this is a meal that inspired one of the most famous paintings of all time. 
Uh, Leonardo da Vinci in the 1400s uh, created a painting that we've all seen, we all know, of the Last Supper. And, and you guys can even picture that in your minds right now, the, the painting that, that is, is hanging on a wall somewhere. And you, you can Google it now and you can see it. So it inspired the most famous painting that's ever been painted. I know we love to take pictures of our food and you love your meals and, and we do that all the time. But no meal that you've ever had has inspired a great painting. So it inspired one of the most famous paintings of all time. Second, this meal ended the Jewish Passover. For 1,500 years they had celebrated the Passover. Ever since uh, they put the, the blood on their doorposts and the death angel passed over them and God got them out of Egypt through the Exodus, they've been celebrating this meal. It's the longest tradition that they had celebrated in all Jewish history. And now, here in this moment, it ends. It's over. It's not going to happen anymore. There has not been a, an official Jewish Passover since this meal. It ended that celebration. Third, this meal started the Lord's Supper. Something that we do once a month in this church, and the church, the New Testament church has done since this. In Acts 2, the first thing they did was take the Lord's Supper. And we've been doing it for generation after generation after generation. It ended one uh, Passover and started the Lord's Supper. It's the most important meal ever. I've got another one for you. This meal has caused more controversy than any meal in history. Uh, There's been more blood spilled over this issue, over this meal, than any other issue in the church. The Puritans refused to bow down on this issue, and they were burned in front of their church on the steps because of their beliefs on the Lord's Supper. John Calvin, one of the, most, uh, the, one of the greatest theologians in all, uh, all of history, was kicked out of his church over the Lord's Supper. Jonathan Edwards, you guys know him, one of the greatest preachers in American history, was run out of his church over the Lord's Supper. These guys were willing to stand up and die and be kicked out of their churches over this meal. It's an important meal. I'll give you one more. Jesus said it was important. When he was getting ready to go into the upper room with the disciples, he said, I desire with a great desire to eat with you. This is the last thing that he would do. The last meal that he would have. The last message he would give to his disciples. And the last thing he wanted to do before he went to the cross was sit down at this meal with these disciples. Jesus says it's important. I give you all these reasons. I show you all these things just to prove to you that this is a very important meal. And we don't, we don't understand it, I don't think, that the significance of what takes place in, in just these short verses and really in a six-hour span. This is the most important meal ever. This is a momentous time in history. And we need to study it. We need to know why it's so important. We need to spend time on it. We need to give close attention to it today. So let's look at the most important meal ever. And I thought about that when I titled it. If this title doesn't get Baptists into the church, I don't know what will. You mentioned meals, Baptists show up. So I, I thought I would make the title the most important meal ever. So let's look at it. I'm going to give, give you three points to work our way through it. I, I just told Brandon a minute ago, I've preached the Lord's Supper before, but never like this. I studied it brand new. I, I didn't bring out any old notes. I didn't read any old commentaries. I said, I just want to look at it with, with fresh eyes and see what's taking place here. The most important meal ever. I want to show you, first of all, the surprise at the meal. There's a surprise here. This is an ordinary meal that they're having. It says in verse 26, and as they were eating. 
It's Passover. I've already mentioned that. It, it began in verse 21. You see that? It started in verse 21. It says, and as they did eat. That, that began the meal. And then in verse 26, and as they were eating, that's the middle of the meal. And then in verse 30, they sang a hymn and left. That's the end of the meal. And all that would happen from about 6 p.m. until midnight. A six-hour meal. <laughs> that's a good meal. That's a, it's a long meal. It's a drawn-out meal. It's, it's a, they're they're going to eat for a long time. They're going to sit around the table. It's a, a U-shaped table. And it's going to go on and on and on. You say, what are they going to do? Who can eat for six hours, Baptists? That's another reason we're Baptists, right? Yeah. So this is a several-course meal. I want you to picture it with me. I said that they're sitting around a U-shaped table with Judas has already left. He, he, he sent him out last week. He went out to betray Jesus. They're sitting around a U-shaped table. It's Jesus and the 11 disciples. And Jesus is sitting smack dab in the middle. He's the leader. He's the, the, what would represent the father of the family. And not just, the, not, not just that Jesus and the disciples would do this. Every family did it. On this night, they would gather from 6 to 12, and they'd all gather in a room, and, and the Father would be in the center of the table, and He'd be the one handing out the items and explaining what's going on. So Jesus is doing that. He's the Father here. He's the head of the family. And here's the courses. It would start with a cup of wine. Heavily diluted wine, I could say. Because you can't get drunk at the Passover. This is a very serious meal. So they would dilute the wine with, with a lot of water to make sure that they couldn't get any kind of uh, drunk off of it. So they'd start with a cup of wine and they'd pass it around. Then they'd wash their hands to make sure they were clean. And then they would take the bitter herbs. I said that last week. They put a, a, a mixture in and, and would dip it in and it was very bitter and hard for them to eat as a reminder of the bitterness of Egypt when God rescued them. For us, it would be a reminder of the sin that we had before God saved us. So they wanted a little bit of bitterness to go in their meal. And then they would do the unleavened bread and dip it into that bitter herbs. And then they would have another cup of wine. And then they would have the lamb and break the bread. And they'd pass that around. So this is it's just a, a, several courses taking place over six hours. And as they did every single one of these things, the head of the family would do what they called a, a Haggadah. You say, well, what's that mean? It's an explanation. That as the head of the family would get up there and, and he would stand and pass these things out, he would say, this is the bitter herbs. This represents the condition of the Israelites in Egypt before God saved them. Explaining every piece of what's happening. This, this would be the unleavened bread. This, this represents the, that there's no leaven. That they said we, we, we would separate completely from, from Egypt. And we'd go out on our own. And there's giving explanation after explanation for everything. They'd get to the lamb and they would say, this represents the innocent lamb that was slain. And his blood was put on our doorpost. And the death angel would pass by. And if we had the blood on our door and we were covered by the blood, God in his grace and mercy would, would pass over us. So there was an explanation that was given. And Jesus would do this, symbolizing what's taking place. And after every one of those things, they would pause and reflect on everything that happened in that meal. That's why it took for six hours. One thing after the other. And they'd stop and they would think, oh wow, the bitterness of Egypt and how hard it was and what we went through. And then they'd have the wine and it would be celebration. And then they'd pass that on. The kids at the table year after year would say, Daddy, what does this mean? Why do we do this? Let me apply this. Today we have in the church the Lord's Supper. And we have baptism. 
And nothing brings questions from kids like the Lord's Supper and baptism. That they see with their eyes what we say with our mouths. And they see me take someone down into the water and bring them back up. And they say, Daddy, what does that mean? Kids, we always gather them around the stage and let them watch so they can go home to their daddy and say, Daddy, what does that mean? And Daddy gets to say, oh, it symbolizes, it represents who we were. And now we are buried with Christ in baptism and we're raised to walk in newness of life because Jesus has saved us. Fathers, teach your kids what these things mean. Don't drop the ball on this. When they come and say, Daddy, what does it mean? Why are you coming to the church on a Sunday night and there's the bread and there's the juice? Why are they passing it around? What are they talking about? Daddy, what does it mean? Be able to tell them. The sermon today will tell you what the Lord's table means. So as they're going through this typical, normal, routine meal that they do every single year, they've heard it all before, they're probably not even paying attention to what Jesus says. These disciples are over 30 years old. That means they've done it over 30 times. Ordinary Passover. And then you get to verse 26. And it says, and as they were eating, normal. Jesus took the bread, normal. Jesus blessed it, normal. Jesus broke it, normal. Jesus gave it to his disciples, normal. And then when he comes to the explanation of what it means, he says something out of the ordinary that they've never heard before. He says, and Jesus said a lot of amazing things. But here he says, take eat. This is my body. And these disciples sitting around that table were sitting there, I mean, again, probably not even paying attention and, and, and just hearing it all before knowing it all about. They probably memorized it and, and even led it in their own homes before. But they're sitting there getting ready to take it and they say, what did he just say? This is my body? And I'm like, okay, maybe he just messed it up. So he moves on to verse 27. And he took the cup, normal. He gave thanks, normal. And he gave it to them, normal, saying, drink all of it, normal, for this is my blood of the New Testament. What? That's not normal. That's out of the ordinary. What's he saying? We've never heard this before. A new deal, a new agreement, a new covenant. In this moment, Jesus is changing everything they ever thought. Jesus is taking something that they had always knew and, and understood, and he's transitioning it into something brand new. From the Passover to the Lord's Supper. From now on, at this moment, when he says this, things are never going to be the same. It's going to have new meaning. It's going to be more significant. We're going to go from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. From the law to grace. And now, from now on, when they gather around the table, it wouldn't be the lamb in Egypt. It would be the, the lamb on the cross. They're not going to be thinking back to an event in Egypt. They're going to be thinking back to an event in Jerusalem. Jesus is saying here, in just two verses, from now on, I get the sole focus of this meal. From now on, this will be about me, my body, and my blood. This will no longer be about a, a lamb slain in Egypt. This is going to be about a lamb slain on a cross. You will gather and you will remember me. That's an amazing statement. This is surprising to them. You mean something we've celebrated for 1,500 years is now changing forever? Who could say that? Jesus is ending an entire system here. 
He's starting a new one. He's bringing it into the old covenant, to the dietary laws, to the rituals, priesthood, altars, sacrifices, the temple, the holy place. Everything changes here. From this moment on, it will not be Passover. It will be the Lord's Supper. Wow. These disciples' jaws are on the floor. Who does he think he is? Only God can institute the Passover And only God can end the Passover. Jesus is taking all authority here. And doing what only God can do. Can you imagine me coming in at Christmas and looking at my family and saying, I know that we have this meal and we celebrate the birth of Christ and and, and we're doing all these things how we always do it. But from this point on, we won't celebrate Christmas. We're going to do something new. You say, you're crazy, Josh. (laughs) Who are you to say that? To end Christmas? Jesus was ending their greatest holiday. Their greatest celebration and saying it's no longer about that. It's now all about me. And when we gather around the table, that's who it's about. That's who we remember. It's all about Jesus. When we come to the table and we drink of the, of the cup, it's all about Jesus and his blood. When we take of the bread, it's all about Jesus and his body. It's all about Jesus. And nothing and no one else. So this is the surprise. Maybe not to you. You guys saw this coming. I saw it coming. These disciples are saying, what? Wow. This is a big deal. This is the most important meal ever. So there's the surprise at the meal. Now let me show you the significance of the meal. Because here's the big question. What does he mean? (laughs) That's, That's the question. What does he mean when he says, this is my body? What does he mean when he says, this is my blood? People have fought over this for thousands of years. I told you, Jonathan Edwards kicked out of his church because of what he believed on this. John Calvin kicked out of his church because of this. Puritans were burned on the front steps of their own church because of what they believed on this. And there's two beliefs on this. And I need to tell you what's wrong before I can tell you what's right. First, let me, let me tell you what's wrong. What did Jesus mean by this? Some say Jesus meant when he said, there are people today that believe this. When Jesus said, take eat, this is my body, that he meant literally that was his body. And when he said, take drink, this is my blood, they believe that's literally Jesus' blood. Catholics believe that when they come to Mass and the priest prays over the bread and over the wine, that it changes its composition and it literally becomes those things. That Jesus comes down again and His body is broken again and His blood is shed again. If you notice, Catholics will wear necklaces that have Jesus have a cross with Jesus still on it. Protestants wear necklaces with a cross with no Jesus on it. Because there's a big difference. Catholics believe they are crucifying Jesus over and over and over and over and over. Let me add a few more. I don't have much of a voice, but I'm going to go over and over and over and over and over. Every time they take Mass, Jesus' body is broken and His blood is shed. That's what they believe. It's literally His body and it's literally His blood. After it's turned into that and the priest blesses it, they even have to be careful how they get rid of it. Because you can't just throw away in the garbage the body and the blood of Jesus. 
Let me say this and make it very clear. What they believe in the Lord's Supper or on Mass is blasphemous. It's an abomination. And anyone who believes it has denied the gospel and is outside the faith. They have no finished sacrifice and they have no Savior. We believe that Jesus shed his blood once and for all. So we know better. This, I think it's a silly thing. Jesus is not literally saying, this is my body and this is my blood. The disciples knew that. Let's, let's interpret Jesus' words by what the disciples heard. When, they, when Jesus handed them the bread and said, this is my body, they didn't think, that's literally his body. And when he handed them the cup, they didn't think, that's got blood in it. When he handed them the bread, they heard, this is like my body. Or this represents my body. Just like he'd be do, been doing with all the other things around the table. These bitter herbs represent the, the hard time that Israel had in, in Egypt. This bread represents what my body's about to do. This juice, wine, represents what, what I'll be doing in the next few hours. It's a representation of, of, what, of something he's showing. It's, that's the significance of it. He's showing them what's about to take place. So now I want to tell you what he means by that. Hang with me. Because when he says, this is my body, you say, what does he mean by that? The, the bread and this body, the body is important. In his body, he was born. The Bible calls it putting on flesh, incarnate. It's the incarnation that Jesus became flesh and dwelled among us. That he put on a human body. That he didn't have that in, in, in heaven before the incarnation. But he came down and put on a, a fully, truly human body. And all of its, its weakness and its frailty, he put on flesh. And it wasn't sinful flesh because he was born of a virgin. It was in his body that he lived. That he walked as a man and ate as a man and spoke as a man and slept as a man. The only difference was he didn't sin as a man. He lived a perfect and sinless life. Never did a thing wrong. Didn't think a thing wrong. Didn't say a thing wrong. Everything that he did was exactly perfect in every single way. We'll see it in a few weeks. They'll put him on trial and bring everybody that, that knows him in to, to try to find some evidence that he did anything wrong. At the end of all the trials, Pilate will say, couldn't find a fault in this man imagine bringing in people to on trial for you i could find all kinds of people to tell you my faults just bring in my kids <laughs> we, was, we was at the game yesterday and talking around and uh, somebody looked at me and said you're getting older do you have trouble with your eyes i said not yet and isaiah said yeah you do <laughs> There's always somebody around right Bring in my kids, they can tell you my sin. Bring in my wife, she can tell you all my sin. I mean, we have all these witnesses against us and they brought them all against Jesus and he had none. In his body, he was perfect. In his body, he bore our sins. First Peter says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. You say, what does that mean? That when he went to the cross... Our sins were not taken off of us, thrown under the ground and stomped by God and thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. Our sin was taken off of us, put on Him. 
Those big, masculine, broad shoulders. He carried our sins. He bore our sins. He went to the tree with our sins on His shoulders. God treated Him as if He was me and lived my life. My sins fell on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And He was stomped by God. Trampled by God. Under the wrath of God. Treated as I deserve to be treated by God. He was cursed by God, punished by God. He became sin for us. On the cross, God treated him like he lived my life so that God could treat me like I lived his life. That was the body. In that body, he suffered for me. The blood, the wine here says, this is my blood. What does it represent? This is, this is important. We know this. It's a common thing. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness. There's, there's no way that we'd ever get out from under the burden of our sin unless we shed our own blood, which we can't because our blood is, is sinful, or someone die for us. It took blood at the Passover to put on the door, innocent lamb. It took blood... When God told Abraham to go and sacrifice his son, and Abraham about to bring the knife down, he said, hold up, there's a ram caught over there. It took blood in the temple. Millions and millions and millions of sacrifices were made. Every year at the Passover, the priests would be knee-deep in blood from all the sacrifices they were making and slitting the throat of a lamb so that their sins could be covered. And it never got covered. Year after year after year after year. A a continuous sacrifice being made and nobody's sins ever being covered. Until Jesus went to the cross. And it says here, look at this. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed. That's a, that's a very important word. It wasn't spilled in that someone did it to him. You hear that all the time. Innocent blood was spilled. This is shed. You know what shed means? It means it was poured out. It means it was violent. That it wasn't easy. That it was sacrificial. That what they did to those lambs, so violent and and slitting its throat so the blood would pour over the altar, is what they did for Jesus when He went to the cross. He went to the cross and it was shed violently for our sin. Blood poured out of His head and out of His hands and out of His feet and out of His side. It was a violent shedding of blood. And it was done for us. Substitution, it says here, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for, there's that word, on behalf of. God provided a lamb. When it was Abraham, they said, God provided a lamb. He shall be called Jehovah Jireh. God provides. Don't ever use that name talking about God providing for you car or a house God does but this name means God provided for you a sacrifice Jesus took our sin and was treated like a sinner by God and he did it so we could have the blessing I like that if you're following a little uh, outline it would be the body and then the the blood And he did it all so we could have the blessing. You say, what's the blessing? Look right here with me. This is the blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That's the blessing of the New Covenant. What do we get? Jesus took our sin so that we could have our sins forgiven. 
That word remission here means the dismissal of sin, the release of sin. That's the biggest deal. I don't know why we aren't more floored over the word remission. Over the word, and it says there, uh, for the remission of sin. You've heard that word, remission, when it comes to, to cancer patients, that they are in remission. They no longer have cancer anymore. And we celebrate it, and they, they ring a bell. But we've not been rid of cancer. We've been rid of something even worse. Far worse than cancer. And we ought to be ringing bells. We've been rid of sin. And we are overloaded with sin. We drink in sin on a daily basis like it's water. In what we look at and what we say and what we think and how we act and how we don't act and the things we do and the things we don't do. Do you realize that we break the greatest commandment every single day? You say, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, with all that you are. How many of you do that for one second of a day? None of us. We break that every second of every day. None of us have kept it. We're full of sin. We've broken the first commandment. We've broken the second commandment. We've broken the third commandment. We've broken the fourth commandment. How many of you honored your mother and father completely? Totally. Every day. I got mom and dad here. You bring them onto the stand. Has Josh always honored you? No. Well, say, how many of you murdered? Never murdered a soul. Jesus came and said, if you hate a man in your heart, you've committed murder. Anybody ever hated anybody? We commit sin all the time. Adultery. Ah, never done that. Jesus said, if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. Guilty as sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we do it every day. It, weigh, it should weigh us down. It should bring us to our knees knowing our guilt before God. There's not, not any of us without sin. And not just any sin. A lot of sin. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. The closer I get to God and the more I know, the more I realize just how bad I am. And Jesus says here, I give my body and I give my blood and I'll go to the cross. So that you can have the blessing of forgiveness of sin. I love that. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Amen. Exodus 34 says forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. That's all three words that you can use in the Hebrew for sin. Which is a way of saying, I will forgive all types of sin. I will forgive all kinds of sin. You name it, I'll forgive it. There's not one thing you can do that God won't forgive. That may be the greatest thing you ever hear. I'm too bad. No, 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 no. Nothing you can do. Paul was going out killing God's people and God saved him and forgave him. I'm going to give you another verse. You guys hanging in there with me? I hope so. Micah 7. You don't have to turn there. Verse 18 says, Who is a God like unto thee? <laughs> you, you with me? That pardons iniquity. Passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retains not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will turn again. He'll have compassion on us. He'll subdue our iniquities and cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You read Revelation and it's over and over and over and over. People in heaven praising God for forgiveness. It's the greatest blessing that you could ever have. And we only get that blessing because Jesus took our curse. 
when Jesus walked out of this room, he left a cup sitting. There would be four cups at the, at the, at the, the, the Passover. And he said, I won't drink of this cup. He left it. I'm, I'm leaving it here. And then he walked to the cross, leaving the cup of blessing and taking the cup of curse. And when he went to the garden, he said, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours be done. And he went to the cross and he took that cup. You say, what's that cup? It's a representation of the wrath of Almighty God. And he drank it down to the last drop for us. He gave us the cup of God's blessing so he could take the cup of God's curses. That's the blessing. Donald J. Barnhouse said he was preaching a sermon one time. And he said he ended the sermon with this statement. Listen to it. He said, our sins are forgiven, forgotten, cleansed, pardoned, atoned for, remitted, covered. They've been cast into the depths of the sea, blotted out as thick as a cloud, removed as far as the east from the west, remembered against us no more forever, and cast behind the back of Almighty God. What a statement. You guys want me to read it again? I know you do. Barnhouse said, our sins are forgiven. These are great words. Forgotten, cleansed, pardoned, atoned for, remitted, covered, cast in the depths of the sea, blotted out, removed as far as the east is from the west, remembered against us no more forever, and placed behind the back of Almighty God. And he said, I got done preaching. I walked down. I walked out into the foyer to greet everybody as, as they left. And he said, a little kid come up to me who couldn't have been no more than 11 years old. And he looked up and he said, hey, Doc. I like that. He said, we're sure sitting pretty, ain't we, Doc? <laughs> Amen. We're sure sitting pretty. That's the blessing. This is significant. There's a lot here. I, I, I've got one more and then we'll move on. But it says, but this is the blood. I'm not going to look at the clock yet. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for, what does it say there? Many. Who's it for? Many. You've got to see that. It's not, I'm going to give you two words here. Many is not few. Praise God it's not a few. <laughs> Praise God it says many. Praise God that He's opening up His arms not just to a few people. Praise God that the sacrifice isn't just for the Jews. Praise God that He's opening His arms of mercy and forgiving the likes of me and you. That there's the many here. It's a vast number. It's countless. It's untold that one will die for the many. One will be cursed so that many can be blessed. Of every tribe, tribe, tongue, and nation, Jew and Greek, women and men, slave and free, it would have been gracious if he'd went to the cross to save one. Are you with me on that? It would have been the most gracious act that we would have ever seen and all of us would have sit in awe and said, wow, he died for one. But here it says many. He died for the many. But notice it doesn't, also doesn't say all. You see that? Which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So it's not a few, but it's not all. We know that, not everybody, because you, you, can't, you can't be universalists and say that Jesus died so that everybody's sins could be forgiven because we know that people go to hell. Judas just left and he said, he's going to hell. His sins have not been forgiven. So the blessing doesn't go to all. It goes to many. Amen. Not everybody receives the blessing. Not everybody's forgiven. It's only those who believe 
who get the blessing. You gotta, you gotta decide that. Am I believing in this? Have I received the blessing? No one in hell can say, Jesus drank my cup of wrath. Because they are currently drinking their own cup of wrath. There's a song I heard sing this week, and I'll move to the last point. You guys are hoping my voice goes out soon. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And if you want to know if Jesus loves you or not, don't look at your current circumstances. Take your eyes and go straight to the cross. And you'll know whether he loves you or not. That the one would die. Let's change it from the many. The one would die for me. Oh, he loves me. So that was the significance. That's what we come and celebrate every time we gather. We come around the table and we take the bread and say, and I stand up in front of you just like a a father would at the Passover. And I say, this is, you guys know that you come here. This is the bread. This represents the body of Jesus Christ, the body he was born in, the body that he lived in, the body that bore our sins upon the cross The body that was broken, the body that was beaten, the body that was bloody, the body that had the crowns on his head and the thorns in his hands, the body that that looked like it wasn't even a man. This is what it took to save the likes of me. And we pass it around. And we eat it and we think, oh, wow, what grace. Oh, amazing grace. Oh, what love. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And then we pass out the juice. Little cups. Kids say, Daddy, what does that mean? It means that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There's no way any of us could ever be forgiven unless someone with pure and spotless blood died on my behalf. And only one has lived that life. And then he died on my behalf so that I could be saved. So when we drink of that cup, we're saying, He shed that blood for me. That nothing but the blood of Jesus could save me from my sins. That's why we gather around the table. That's the significance of it. Last point. I want to show you the sweetness of the meal. Because now it's it's been rough. (laughs) This meal hasn't been fun. It started, they gathered, and they're fighting over who's the greatest. Jesus says, sit down, be quiet. (laughs) And he washes their feet. To show them what true greatness was. And then as they're sitting down, Jesus says, hey guys, i got something to tell you. One of you guys is a betrayer. That's a tough meal. He jumped onto them. He said, one of them is going to betray. That guy gets up and walks out. And then he looks at him and he says, I'm going to die in the most brutal, vicious way that you could possibly die. These disciples are thinking, what? This has become awful. And then you get to verse 29. And you get the sweetness of it. You get the good news here. He says in verse 29, But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the, this fruit of the vine. I will never, and then the way this reads is, I will never again. No, never, 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 never. <laughs> I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth. I, I, it won't happen again. I'll never drink of this cup again until, henceforth until, that day when I drink it with you in heaven my father's kingdom one day we're going to celebrate together this isn't the end i love this statement there's a promise here of a even 
greater meal on the way. You get that? I know it's bad right now. I love how Jesus does that. It's sad. It's hard. It's rough. And then he picks them right back up and he says, let me tell you guys, this isn't the end. It's not all sad. It's not all bad. Yes, this is going to happen. Betrayal and death and a cross and a tomb. All that's going to happen. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to be drinking with you guys again one day. We're going to be gathered around the table again one day. And he's telling us here that there's going to be a face-to-face meal with Jesus one day. In the kingdom. Do you get this? This is going to happen. We celebrate. And Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 11. Do this until he comes. So that one day there will be an even greater meal. And we'll all be gathered around. I don't know if it will be a U-shaped table. But Jesus will be at the center. This is, in, this is at the end. You guys, I don't know if you know this or not. There's going to be a, a great supper of the Lamb. And we're all going to be gathered around. And Jesus will stand in the middle and just like he did here, he will serve us. And he will pass these things around. You say, how is that possible? There's going to be millions upon billions upon billions of people there and Jesus is going to serve us. Our minds can't comprehend all that God's got prepared for us. And how he can serve every one of us. And get this, just in your heads, think about that he's going to pass this around And he's going to say, take eat. This is my body that was broken for you. Looking right at us. And we're going to be in heaven. And he's going to be saying, we'll be realizing. The only reason I'm here is because that body was broken for me. Reminder throughout all of eternity that I'm not in heaven because of what I did or who I am. I'm in heaven because of who he is and what he did. And he'll take the juice and he'll pass it around. Take, drink all of it. And I, 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 there's going to be sadness in that. Yeah, there's going to be, oh, wow. But there's going to be a ringing of the bell. My sins are forgiven. It's been remitted. It's gone. No sin here at all. I should be in hell, but I'm in heaven because of what Jesus did on that cross. There's a greater meal to come. Face to face with Jesus, sitting together, serving, explaining, over and over and over and over throughout all eternity. Jesus saying, look what I've done for you. That's sweet right there. And get this, there's a promise here too. I don't know if you you see that there. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until I drink it anew with who? With you. He's pointing their finger at him. That's eternal security. You guys will be there in the end. Were you with me on that? Judas is gone. He didn't say that to Judas. Judas wasn't a real believer. He's gone. Out, out. Now to these 11. I will be eating this with you in heaven one day. These guys are rough. Peter's going to deny him three times. Ups and downs of life. But you better believe I'll be eating with you one day in heaven. That's a promise there. And if you're a true believer here, we're going to take this bread and, eat, and, and, and this cup in this church over and over and over and over and anticipate that one day we will be eating and drinking with Jesus in heaven. With you. I like that. And then they end with a song. It says in verse 30, the meal ends. I like the way this reads. It says, when they had sung a hymn. You know what this is? They, they hymned. It says, and when they had hymned. 
See, Baptists, we sing hymns, we eat. That's how we're Baptists. I think Jesus and the disciples were Baptists. There could have been some fried chicken put in there somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> A little casserole. <laughs> A cup of coffee. They were Hebrews. You guys with me or not? I don't know. They said when they had sung a hymn, when they hymned together, this is what they did. This is the last thing that they would do in their order of, of, the, of the meal. They left, left a cup. The cup of blessing was left. And they all got up and they all started to sing. You say, what did they sing? Throughout the service, they would sing the Hallel Psalms in Psalm, Psalm 113 to 118. And I've read to you this morning as our call to worship the hymn that they would sing. It's the last of the Hallels, the last hymn that they would sing. And I, I'm going to just read those last verses to you again. Maybe you didn't get the significance when I first read it. Here's what it says, Psalm 118. I don't want to read the whole thing. I thought about it last night. I'm just going to read verse 24. Let's start at verse 23. Let's start at verse 22, maybe verse 21. Verse 19, <laughs> it says, open to me the gates of righteousness, and I'll go into them, and I'll praise the Lord. They're singing this. They're singing this. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter, I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused has now become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. We have said for weeks, as we studied the road to the cross, that everything that happened was ordained by God himself. Amen. This is the Lord's doing. Watch what it says. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is singing this. Verse 24. And this is the day which the Lord has made. We sing that and we, we use that a lot to say today is this Sunday. It's the Lord's day. It's the, and we know that tomorrow is the day the Lord's made and we should rejoice and be glad. Today is the Lord's day and, it, and, it's a, and we should rejoice and be glad in it. Yeah, but this psalm is specifically talking about a day that the Lord made and the Lord ordained and the Lord put into place from before the foundation of the world. And it's midnight and it's now becoming Friday, the day Jesus will die on the cross. This is the day the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And Jesus is singing this with his disciples. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity Blessed be he that comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, which hath showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even under the horns of the altar. And they'd close with, Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, and I will exalt thee. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. And they would end that verse 29. And they'd get up and they'd walk out. Jesus, knowing completely what's about to take place. Knowing betrayal is already happening. Knowing that he's going to go to a garden and, and pour drops of blood. Knowing that Judas will put a kiss on his face. Knowing the 500 Roman soldiers will grab him. 
knowing that he'll go to trial after trial after trial, knowing that he'll be beat, knowing that he'll be mocked, knowing that they will take his clothes off of him and he'll be naked in front of the whole city on the outside of the city, that people will walk by and wag their heads at him and say, who is that? Cursed by God. Knowing all these things are going to happen. And Jesus gets up and like the man that he is, courageously, voluntarily, victoriously, he gets up and he walks out of that room right to the cross. And he does it for us. Wow. It's our sin-bearing, grace-bringing Savior. And an old song says, Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners like us to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Lifted up was He to die. Catholics can't say this, but we can. It is finished is our cry. Was His cry. Now in heaven, lifted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. You say, what do we do with this, Josh? (laughs) I've got three take-homes for you. First, I'd say take the Lord's Supper. Don't neglect it. Prioritize this. If Jesus said this was important, it's important for all of us. He gave us two things. Ordinances of the church. Baptism and Lord's Supper. Baptism we do once and it's the start of our journey. The Lord's Supper we do continuously to the end of our journey. And we're do, using it. This is just amazing to me that we, you have to bring your kids and let them watch. What are they doing, Dad? Daddy, tell me. On the car ride home, what's the, what's the, what's the bread and what's, what's the juice? Why do you do that? What's that all about? Why does the church do it once a month? Why have we done it over and over and over throughout the centuries? And we get to look at them and say, this is what the bread is. Jesus in His body died for us. This is what the juice is. It's blood that was poured out for us. We explain to them the significance of why we do it. So that when they get older and they come to the table, they know exactly what's going on. Take it. I think the Sunday night service, first Sunday of the week, when we take the Lord's Supper, ought to be wall to wall packed out. It should be like Easter in this place every Sunday night that we take it. Jesus says it's important. Men have died over this. Men have been kicked out of their church over this. Blood has been spilled over this. It is the most important meal ever. And we celebrate it because Jesus said so. So prioritize it. Take the Lord's Supper. That's about as easy as it gets. First Sunday night, every month, take the Lord's Supper. Second, we proclaim it. You say, what does that mean? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, we do proclaim His death till He comes. Every time we take the Lord's table, we are proclaiming to the world that I'm a sinner and it took the death of Jesus to save me. It ain't, it ain't about me. And we need to proclaim that to the world. That, that we need to let them know that I'm not some kind of self-righteous hypocrite who thinks that I'm something special. I actually think that I'm worse than everybody in the world. And the only way I'm saved and standing here today and going to go to heaven is because Jesus' body was broken and His blood was shed for me. It took the worst act in history to save somebody like me. Proclaim that. The church ought to be proclaiming this. Not politics and social justice, but Christ and Him crucified. That's our message. 
We have nothing else worth proclaiming. We get to speak it with our mouth and see it with our eyes at the table. Fully experiencing the cross of Jesus Christ with all, get that, of our senses. Seeing it, hearing it, tasting it. It's the most important meal ever. Take it, proclaim it. And I'll say this, believe not in the table, but in what Jesus did for you. In what it represents. Realize that Jesus has prepared it all. We we need to get that. I tell our, if you've been here on Sunday night, it's almost like Jesus here. It's just routine. I say the same things a lot. You guys kind of drown me out a lot. But here's what I say to the, here's what I say. I've got it memorized. The table has been prepared for you. You, you with me? It's been prepared beforehand. Not before the foundation of the world, but before the foundation of the service. We had it all prepared. It's all laid out. It's all there. You don't bring nothing. You don't do nothing. You, you with me on that? You showed up and did nothing when it comes to the Lord's table. That's what this represents. It's all been done beforehand for you. And you don't even have to get up out of your seats. We pick it up and we bring it to you. That's all we do. You, you, you're with me on this. It symbolizes all it takes for you to do to get saved. That salvation has already been prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. All ordained by God Himself. Laid out, done, on the cross. The only thing you do, bring to your salvation, is a sin that made it necessary. So it's already, Jesus died, body broken, blood shed. It's already. And by the Holy Spirit, He brings that to you. Are you with me? He brings it to you. He passes it around. The Holy Spirit brings it to you. I mean, we can do that today. That this gospel is coming to your ear. And the Holy Spirit is, is bringing it before your face. And saying, here, 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 here. You can have it. You can have it. It's yours. Here, take it, take it, take it. You say, how do I get that salvation? Do I need to get up and give you some money? Do I need to get up and work for it? What do I do? All you do is take and eat. All you do is take and drink. That's faith. All you do, get this, is receive it. That's it. That's not a work. You receive it by faith. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Take it in. Take the cup of blessing that God is offering you and refuse the cup of curse. That's the only cups you have. You will take the cup of blessing and forgiveness offered to you by God today. One day judgment's coming and you will drink the cup of the wrath of Almighty God throughout all eternity. That's all you got. So my application to you today is, I don't know where you stand, but the cup is offered. The cup is offered. And all you have to do is take and believe. I believe Jesus took my sins upon His body 
And his blood was shed upon that cross. And I put my full faith for today and eternity into the hands that were nailed to that cross. And I have no hope in my own self, but only in him. You do that, full salvation and full forgiveness for everything you've ever done. What? What? Who turns down that offer? That's an amazing thing. I'm going to close with Revelation 22. The last verse of the Bible, really. Verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. That's the, the Holy Spirit and the church, the bride. Our constant message is, come, take. What's this? And let him that heareth. Do you you hear these words? Come. And let him that is thirsty. Come. And whosoever will. Let him take of the water of life. Freely. You can have it today. It won't cost you a thing. Because Jesus paid it all. And all to him we owe. Would you agree with me? That that is the most important meal ever. Not because of what happened at the meal, but because of what happened the day after the meal. What the meal represented. It's the most important meal ever. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for what the Lord's Supper represents. The death of our Savior on the cross, taking our sins away. We thank you for that. And I pray, God, there's anyone in here who's never taken the cup of blessing. That they would see their need for it today. That they would reach out and say, by faith, I take Jesus and his forgiveness. Please, God, if there's anyone lost in here today, what, what an opportunity they have to be saved. Don't let them turn it down today, please. And God, I, I pray for our church that we would keep, and this, this is one of the main points of the passage, to help us to do this. That we would keep Christ and, and his cross, what he did there, as the focal point, the, the, the central message of our church. That we would not get off on, these, uh, on other issues and things in the world, but our focus would be on what Jesus did for us on the cross. Keep our eyes on that. Keep our focus on that. Let us sing about that. Let us serve because of that, what he did for us. I I think that's what we need in the days ahead. So keep our attention on that. Again, we thank you for this time that we've had today. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.